And so for those of you who weren't here, I'll provide a little bit of a plot synopsis, which is basically um, Subhuti is very curious uh, about how to really attain awakening. You know, Subhuti is considered the Buddha's foremost disciple in um, understanding the nature of reality, but he wants to go a bit deeper. So someday, Buddha goes out, as he always does. You know, he goes out on an alms round and collects food for the noon meal. He takes it back to the temple. He eats it. He washes his bowl. He sits down um, in meditation. And Subhuti asks him, you know, how should a disciple of the way control their mind? You know, how should they live? And so, you know, Buddha goes straight into it. He says, you should, you should live with this intention, um, you know, to benefit all sentient beings. You know, the Buddha doesn't answer the question, how should you control your mind? He goes straight to saying, you know, the, the direction is to liberate all sentient beings. And yet, a bodhisattva, while liberating all sentient beings, will not have any idea that there is a self, um, a person, a living thing, or a lifespan. Um, you, that would be, um, in fact, creating something to attach to and limiting. And so then he asks the Buddha, how much merit do you think, um, you know, a person would get from that? You know, do, isn't the direction of the East limitless? And 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 Subhuti says, yes. And so, so it is with all the directions in that way. By going with this direction to help and liberate all beings without cling, clinging to any idea that there is even one to be liberated, um, the merit that one should get would be as vast as the four directions, which is to say, pretty vast. And the way that I described that last week is that when um, we step out of our own way. We have access to that life force, you know, that pure energy, um, the energy of creation. When we step out of our own way, when we, when we, um, when we look at the people and situations, you know, this is me, I'm going to help you, I'm going to fix you, that is limited. It's limiting us. It's limiting them. It's creating this little box in which there is a helper and a person being helped and something to fix. But on the other hand, if we work from this place without any idea, you know, then we are the universe supporting itself. That's a whole different story. So one way that we touch into that within our Zen meditation is just doing it. When we're doing something, just doing it. It's like, like the bonfire burning, leaving no trace. So mindfulness, as we, we talk about often nowadays in this culture, can also be translated as heartfulness. So when we give ourselves to the activity wholeheartedly, um, then there's no distinction between the doer, you know, and the thing being done. 
Also, no distinction between the giver, the receiver, and the gift. And so really, you could say the whole sutra is already within that. And it's not a very long sutra. You know, at this point, Thich Nhat Hanh actually um, provides a comment. He says, you know, before you go on with the rest of the sutra, consider and, and go back, read over the first four or five chapters, because it's actually got the whole thing. Not to spoil. Okay, so then what happens <coughs> when they've had that conversation? Chapter 5. Buddha says, what do you think, Subhuti? Can the Tathagata be seen by means of the possession of attributes? Subhuti replied, no, indeed, Bhagavan. The Tathagata cannot be seen by means of the possession of attributes. And why not? Bhagavan, what the Tathagata says is the possession of attributes is no possession of attributes. This having been said, the Buddha told the Venerable Subhuti, since the possession of attributes is an illusion, Subhuti, and no possession of attributes is no illusion, by means of attributes that are no attributes, the Tathagata can indeed be seen. So that's a little bit confusing, but I'm here to break it down. So Tathagata means the one who's thus come. You know, and so that's one of the names of, of the Buddha, you know, this one who's you know, completely immersed in beingness so that there's no coming, no going, the place of stillness. And Subhuti, in replying, uh, uses the term Bhagavan, which, you know, basically means Lord. You know, so earlier uh, we talked about how in order to liberate bodhisattvas have to do the, the, the practice and giving without any idea you know, that there's one uh, to be liberated, one to be helped. And through that, they, they obtain a body of merit that has no limit. You know, so th uh, just as the east, west, north, south have no limit. So that body of merit is actually referred to as the Sambhogakaya. The Sambhogakaya is part of these three bodies of the Buddha. The first one is the Nirmanakaya. Nirmanakaya is this place of being in the world. It's what we can touch. This mat, this rug, you know, um, the wall is white. Everything just as it can be seen. On that level, the Tathagata, the Buddha, had physical attributes. So that if you look at the pictures of the Buddha, he's got these very long earlobes. You know, his, his um, limbs are perfectly proportioned. You know, there's a, a place on his forehead where the third eye um, can be seen. And, um, you know, all kinds of other specifications. Then um, there's the Sambhogakaya. The Sambhogakaya is not the tangible. Um, it's a place in between. The third body is the dharmakaya. The dharmakaya is the place of pure emptiness. You know, so there's um, a Christian mystic, Angelus Celestis, who said, the God who is pure emptiness is created as form. 
becoming substance, light and darkness, the stillness and the storm. So everything arises from that pure energy and, and takes a tangible form. Dharmakaya is the, that place of energy. Nirmanakaya is the form. Sambhogakaya is in between. And so for those of you who are here as Chapel of Awareness students, um, this Sambhogakaya is a kind of, you could say, energy body. It's subtle. We know the Sambhogakaya through dreams, maybe through, you know, the kind of illumination of the mind, um, through energy work. So, in addition to this Nirmanakaya, this physical body, you know, the, the, that um, a, a Buddha has, you know, with the long earlobes and, you know, a sort of uh, place in the brow um, that bulges a little bit and perfectly proportioned limbs. The, the Buddhas also have this Sambhogakaya, and that's acquired the moment the Bodhisattva sets out on the path the spiritual body, the energy body, the light body. But that's also not the whole thing. You know, the physical body is composed of the skin, the saliva, the tears, the flesh, the muscles. And all it, it is composed of actually goes back to the four elements. The four elements eventually disperse as if in a dream. So for that reason, there have been centuries, millennia, of, of Buddhist practice where people have done a, a meditation upon the parts of the body, you know, so as to recognize, you know, how um, inherently empty they are. You know, we're not our fingernails, we're not our muscles, we're not our tears. You know, so the, the tears return to the element of water, um, the, the heat in the body, the kundalini returns to the place of fire. You know, the, the flesh and bones return to the earth. You know, the interior movement returns to wind. Take these away, and then where is the body? So, we Ning commented, ordinary people only see the physical body. They don't see the Dharma body. For that reason, they can't practice equanimity and they cannot respect all beings. Those who see the Dharma body can practice generosity, can respect all beings, can cultivate non-dual wisdom. They know all beings share the same true nature that is pure and, and clear and not dependent on life and death. So, then what is that dharmakaya? What is that body of emptiness? Throughout the generations, the Zen teachers have found ways to point to that. So Zen Master Gucci, if someone said, what is dharma? He would just hold up one finger, just that. 
uh, my teachers and Master Sung Sun, if someone said, you know, what is Zen, he would just, 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 just that sound. So what that is doing is cutting through any kind of idea. You know, some other, um, you know, many other Zen teachers, you know, if someone asked what is, what is Dharma, they might say, go drink tea. So for this to be of any vital use, which it needs to be, we need to look through the form, you know, even a beautiful Buddhist form. We can compare these three bodies to the sun's reflection on water. So the physical body is, is like a reflection. The energy body, the light body, is like the sunlight, which is shining on the reflection. But the real body, the Dharma body, is like the water. If we want to see the water, we have to look past the reflection of the sun on the, on the water because it's not any of that. So in that way, traditionally, um, we have the Heart Sutra in, in Zen. The Heart Sutra says, you know, Avalokitesvaha Bodhisattva. So Avalokitesvaha, the one who perceives the sound of the world, perceives that all five skandhas are empty. The skandhas are the different ways the mind moves, basically. Form, feelings, perceptions, impulses, consciousness. Seeing through all that, Avalokitesvaha, you know, perceives that all five skandhas are empty and, and um, you know, is saved, you know. Free from suffering or distress. You know, so therefore, you know, to practice we see there's no eyes, no ears, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind. No sight, no sound, no taste, no touch, no object of mind, no realm of eyes, and so forth until there's no realm of mind consciousness. You know, so all these things that we see in the world, you know, we, that's not, that's not the, the Dharma. Ultimately, that's empty. Why is it empty? Because it's always coming into being together with other things, it, and it's always coming and going. So in some ways, that's simple. The next part, no stopping, no path, no cognition, no attainment, nothing to attain. So the, what this is, but this part is going back to the, some of the original teaching of the Buddha. You know, that, that there's this, you know, there's suffering, and that there's a way beyond suffering, um, and that's the, the path. Now, how could this Heart Sutra be saying, no stopping, no path, no attainment, nothing to attain. It's because any idea, even a Buddhist idea, um, can be like a, a bit of sand in the eyes. So how do we get beyond that? How do we directly perceive something? Here's a kind of verse that is traditionally used to get beyond the idea. 
It is enlightenment nature. Above is the dwelling place of all Buddhas. Below is the six realms of existence. So do you see? Do you hear? Already you see clearly. Already you hear clearly. You know, so then what is this stick, the sound, your mind? Are they the same or different? If you say they're the same, it's a mistake. That's attaching to emptiness. And I would hit you 30 times. If you say they're different, that's the bell, that's the stick, that's the sound, that's attachment to the form, the nirmanakaya, things as they are. And then I would also hit you 30 times. So without saying this is, this is the same and without saying it's different, then what? That's the place um, where Zen becomes Zen. So traditionally, um, you know, the masters would say, you know, before I started practicing Zen, mountains were mountains, rivers were rivers. When I began practicing Zen, the mountains weren't mountains and the rivers weren't rivers. Like, hello. But then, you know, as I really commenced, then I understood that, that the mountains and rivers were again mountains and rivers. You know, so that's kind of intense. But Subhuti is there in, in our story, thankfully, and right then he gets it. He says, will there be any beings in the Kali Yuga who understand this? You know, it's like it's hard even for me sitting here to understand. Um, you know, and I have the benefit of you, Buddha. What about the, those beings in the Kali Yuga? He said, Buddha said, there will be fearless bodhisattvas who are capable, virtuous, and wise, who give birth to a perception of the truth of these words. They will have planted auspicious roots before not just one Buddha. The Tathagata sees them. They produce and receive a measureless infinite body of merit. How so? They don't create the perception of a self, a being, a living thing, or a lifespan. They don't create the perception of a dharma or the perception of no dharma. If they did, they would be attached. You know, so basically the raft is not the shore. You know, we have these beautiful um, dharma supports. We have cushions. We have a bell. You know, I have robes. We have an altar. We have the teaching. But at the same time, you know, these are skillful means. It's like a finger pointing at the moon. You can't mistake the finger for the moon. The dharma continues regardless of whether you're on the cushion or not, regardless of whether I wear robes or not. You know, regardless, you know, it simply exists. So Subhuti's asking, how will the future beings get this? 
that this, this teaching that says the appearances are empty of any self-nature, and by means of that emptiness we perceive their true nature. You know, how are we really going to cut through appearances? Buddha says they will have planted roots through many lifetimes. So each action, each thought, each word, you know, even in our dreams, it's like a seed being planted. The fruit you get depends on the seed. So all the time, even for those of us on the path, we have to let go of our idea, our perception. If we're on the path, our perceptions get clearer, but they still are perceptions. We still have to continually let go and return to here, now, and this. So Wang Po commented on this. Buddhas and beings share one and the same mind. This mind has never had form or characteristics. It's never been created. It has never been destroyed. It, thus it is right here. If you think about it, you miss it. It's like the sky. You know, however, human beings are deluded. They send a Buddha to find a Buddha. When they put an end to thoughts and reason, the Buddha appears clear before them. So thankfully, I don't feel obligated to get through the entire Diamond Sutra today. Um, this is where we usually open up for questions. And um, hopefully you've got some good questions, or otherwise, if you've got enlightenment, that's good too. Any, any kind of question about the meditation practice, about the nature of reality? How this fits into the, our lives? Is this the Kali Yuga? Um, I don't. I don't really, you know, cotton to the age of Aquarius thing too much myself. I think that, yeah, you know, this is a time where the effects, you know, the seeds are certainly accelerated. You know, so whatever karma we have. You know, the, the fruition is, is happening more quickly. You know, the, the need to wake up is more urgent. You know, today I thought that this is so true. I mean, this is the morning to go out and teach. You know, I looked at the, the New York Times this morning and I thought, yep, we're here. <laughs> this is the moment we've been practicing lifetimes for. There's, there's, the urgency has arrived. You know, but as we practice, then we get out of our own way. We step into that greater energy field known by us as the universe. Right? And then the place we can source from is inexhaustible. And that's the place where we can have trust. You know, it's, n it's not that small self, but it's the, it's the true self. 
my teachers and Master Su Bung would say, you know, if you're clever, maybe you can fool many people. You know, perhaps you could fool me, but you can't fool your true self. So, you know, trusting in that true self, that compass that each of us has, and continuing to clear our path, you know, through this practice of sitting, we perceive um, the patterns of our mind and continue letting them go, continue returning to just this. Through that, we attain some space and inner freedom. We can see what's going on in our thoughts. We can see the familiar storylines, and we, seeing them, then we have a choice whether or not to identify with them. You know, it's like, don't believe everything you think. Right, and then as we do that, we can approach others also without any idea. You know, no, no idea, no concept, only perceiving and responding. To perceive and respond? Um, because any concept or idea can get in the way of responding clearly. Last week I told a story from Rachel Naomi Raymond's book, Kitchen Table Wisdom. Uh, she was, a, 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 as a young woman, diagnosed with colitis, so she spent a lot of time in the hospital. And she noticed that there were some people who looked at her as, the, as her diagnosis. And they would try to fix her, like she was a machine or an object, and that was, in fact, not um, very healing. And then there were other people who maybe had a, a kind of social work mentality, and they would go in, you know, with this, I am going to help you. You know, so it's like you are the, um, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a little bit of a victim or, you know, poor thing. And here I am, you know, coming in. I have the resources. I'm going to help you. You know, so that perception has already um, reified something. You know, it's already um, put her into a box. And that way that we perceive people and things has an effect. So then she said, then the, the third way is serving. You know, when we're actually serving, th there's no idea, you know, simply responding. So that we, we, we meet the wholeness of that person with the wholeness of ourself. And that from that place, even our wounds can serve. You know, but there's no distinction. So sometime um, in the monastery, this younger monk asked the teacher, you know, how is it that Avalokitesvaha Bodhisattva has a thousand eyes and hands? So Avalokitesvaha, the embodiment of compassion, the archetype of compassion, is always shown having a thousand eyes and hands. So the idea is that there's a thousand eyes to perceive the suffering and a thousand hands to alleviate it. So the answer the teacher gives is it's like reaching back for a pillow in the middle of the night. So the hand doesn't excoriate the head 
you know that head you're always falling off the pillow yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take some time before i respond because this is really putting me out no it's like the hand and the head already respond that they're one you know so the effort um is natural so the younger monk says now i get it the older monk says what do you understand so the younger monk responds Across the body are hands and eyes. The older monk says, yes, but you've only said half of it. So the younger monk says, what then? The older monk says, throughout the body are hands and eyes. So that's how deeply interconnected we are. So when our helping comes from that place, you know, understanding how deeply our wellness and wholeness are bound up together. There's, there's nothing extra, there's no in, in, even intention, it's just a natural action. If this arm starts bleeding, then this hand reaches over and stops it. You know, can we respond, you know, to our day-to-day -day situation like that? Um, there's another story I sometimes tell on that uh, note, but it is 12. Um, maybe we can do names because I don't know everyone this week. Samji Hung. Nice to meet you. Thank you for your practice. Happy Saturday. <laughs>